names, you've noticed, for Jesus, Emmanuel, uh, the Lord of Might, Rod of Jesse, Dayspring, Key of David, as we um, urge um, uh, the Lord's return even now, but uh, certainly praising him for his first appearance. Well, what if, what if we threw a Christmas party right here at church, um, being it's the first Sunday of Advent and all, and, and who should we invite? Uh, how about John the Baptist? I'm always trying to get John the Baptist into sermons, you may have noticed. But, uh, now, some of you might not have thought that John the Baptist would really uh, be a very... A good idea. I mean, John might not have been a very good mixer, kind of a severe sort of fellow, not much for small talk, a direct kind of guy. Uh, but then Jesus did once say of him, truly I say to you among those born of woman, there is not one arisen greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that alone ought to get John on the invitation list, don't you think? Uh, so, John arrives at the Advent party, and he seems to know everything and seeks you right out. That verse that you just quoted about being no one born a woman greater than I, he said, you didn't quote the whole verse. Jesus said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But, but, but John, who could possibly be greater than you? I mean, you were great. Don't you believe the Bible, he shouted? Don't you believe Jesus? Well, yeah, I suppose. But what could be, but be greater than, or more blessed than, than you, John? John looks totally disgusted. Don't they teach you anything around here? Don't you know about Jesus? Didn't you ever hear about the, the, the new covenant? I, I'm nothing more than a, an Old Testament prophet. You have the new covenant. That's why you're all greater than me. Well, well yeah, Jesus, we, we know about him. But this covenant stuff, it just seems so complicated. There's nothing complicated about it at all, he growled. There's the covenant of works that God made with our parents, which they broke for us back in the garden by their disobedience. And then there was the, the remedial and corrective covenant of grace, which God mercifully established and first gave to Abraham and then to Moses and, and to Noah. And the same covenant until it finally reached its greatest form in Jesus Christ. Jesus called it the new covenant in my blood. Stronger, wider, deeper. Why didn't you invite Jeremiah to your little party? He could have even explained this to you. And then with a final glare and a rather unexpected, almost friendly sort of wink, he turned on his feet and stalked off to the refreshment table looking for locusts and wild honey, I suppose. <laughs> Jeremiah the prophet. 
right. Uh, we need to get this straight. The new covenant. Stronger. Wider. Deeper. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. You're going to want to read along on this. Jeremiah 31. Not a long text, but um, it's a very pithy text. I think it might be on 660 in your pew Bible. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, Jeremiah 31, looking at verses 31 through 34. Picking up at verse 31 of chapter 31. God's Word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall, it, shall each one teach his neighbor, and each after his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Lord God, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word, your law. Amen. Well, um, let's see. Do we, do we have, where's my clicker? Is it up here? I think I left it. Probably hasn't been used since. That's a good start. Huh. Oh dear. Let's see. <laughs> it never works. Ah, oh, there it is. Okay. All right, good. Well, <clears throat> To get us started here, um, God formally structured his relationship, his special relationship with his chosen people uh, by, means of, uh, by means of his covenant, by the means of different, uh, really, covenants. And, um, and, 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 and what I mean by that, even, even uh, as we look at that, is uh, divinely... Uh, imposed arrangements, a covenant to divinely imposed arrangement, which God has established whereby God takes us to be his people and requires us to acknowledge him as Lord. I will be your God and you'll be my people. We're to be spiritually separated from the world around us. We're to have lives and eyes and hearts that belong first and foremost to him alone. We're to love him and we're to love his law and his people and his worship and uh, more than ourselves. But God's people have always been 
covenant breakers. We break God's law. We break his covenant. Every one of us, we're steeped in original sin. We are proud and independent. And, and, and though he pursues us as his people, we resist his rule over our lives and we absolutely will not and cannot follow him as our God. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. That's the way God put it in the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. We're all hopeless sinners. And that's why we all need Jesus to fulfill the terms of the covenant for us. Uh, a covenant that changes us. Uh, Jesus was sinless. Uh, Jesus was faithful. With his death and resurrection, he established the new covenant. And this new covenant is better. Uh, it is stronger. Um, it's really a great and the great and final establishment of the covenant of grace. And yes, it is, first of all, uh, stronger. Um, that's uh, what we uh, see in, oops, in the text. And Jeremiah says in verse 33, um, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it in their hearts. That's what you need to recognize and see there. I will put their law within them and write it on their hearts. In the Old Testament age, people were saved by grace through faith, just as we are today. But, and you've heard me say this before, they can think of it this way. They were saved on credit. Um, on the basis of what the Messiah, promised Messiah, Jesus would one day come and accomplish for them on the cross. Now, most of them didn't understand that very well in the Old Testament age, but God saved them anyway. He took away uh, those who cast themselves upon him, uh, their heart of stone, and gave them his law to guide them in righteous ways. But now, today, in this age, in the age of the Spirit, the age of the New Covenant, God is promising something more, something stronger. He's promising here in Jeremiah 31, 33 uh, to write it out on our hearts, uh, to internalize, to enable us to internalize his law and to work in our hearts with new power, uh, to enable us to love him and, and follow him more closely, to be more obedient and, and to be more powerful servants of Christ. Uh, the new covenant uh, boasts a unique uh, feature in its strength and power, actually to change and to transform its participants in their hearts. This is what sets this covenant apart from God's previous covenantal dealings with his people. Now, what is this power? Well, I think you know it's nothing less than the power of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, now, we live since uh, Pentecost in the age of the Spirit. And really, it's impossible to speak too strongly about the, the wonderful glory of the Spirit and the blessings of living in this age. We live in the last days, but we live it in the power and strength of God the Holy Spirit. If you're living out of your own strength, if you're living out of your own wisdom, you're missing it. Maybe you're not even saved. By Trinitarian agreement, Jesus 
purchased or obtained for us the Spirit through his obedient life and sacrificial death on the cross. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who dwells within the hearts of believers. He is our strength. He is our instructor. He is Christ in us. And the Old Testament prophet Joel, who only saw this from a distance, spoke of the Holy Spirit, was led by God to speak of the Holy Spirit with these words. Um, uh, he says, uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Well, those days, brothers and sisters, are now. And the Apostle Peter quoted uh, those verses to the crowd gathered at Pentecost when the promised Spirit, which again Jesus procured for us, if you will, from his work on the cross, was in fact then, you remember, visibly poured out upon all these gathered disciples. This is the same Spirit which is given to every born-again Christian down to this very day now. Was the Spirit inactive or unavailable in the Old Testament age? No. Uh, the Spirit would fall, especially upon chosen judges or kings or prophets, uh, sporadically from time to time as seemed good to the Lord, but, but only in small measure and for limited periods of time. But now, brothers and sisters, but now, uh, this, in this blessed final age, in these last days of which the prophet spoke, God has poured out his spirit. God, as he begins to gather the full number of his elect from all over the world to build his church as never before, now he's poured out his spirit in the most powerful and amazing way. How many people repented of their sins and followed Jesus when he was preaching in Galilee and in Judea? Maybe not more than a few hundred, a few thousand at the most. But with the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, which marked the beginning of the last days, that period between the first and second coming, with that, thousands of people came. 3,000 uh, were, were added to saved and added to the church on the very day of Pentecost itself. And, and there has been ever since there, especially since the Reformation, many revivals where hundreds of thousands of people have been saved since then. Listen to me. This new covenant age, uh, if you have Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. You're weak, but he's strong. You're practically incompetent, but he's great and wise. You can't beat your way out of a paper bag with the name sin on it, but the Holy Spirit is mighty, and his strength uh, with that strength, you can put off sin. You can be mighty for the cause of Christ. You, mighty in love, mighty in obedience. Yes, Jeremiah, this new covenant is stronger and wider. Are you with me? We're giving uh, glory uh, to um, uh, the Lord this evening through understanding the new covenant. As, G as Jeremiah introduces us, uh, to it, a, a stronger covenant, bathed with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and secondly, this a, a wider covenant. Now, back to our text, Jeremiah says um, in verse 31, 31, 31, Behold, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Um, sad to say, the nation of Israel was divided uh, after the reign of the first King Solomon. For King Solomon, it was divided north and south, the northern kingdom uh, being called Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah. And they fought like cats and dogs. But now, with the new covenant, God is at work removing um, uh, differences and sinful divisions. In, in point of fact, Israel and Judah no longer even existed as two nations any longer when the new covenant was inaugurated by Christ. And the division that Jeremiah refers to between north and south is to be understood by us today as a picture of the greater prejudices and divisions that Christ has come to liberate us and deliver us from. What Jeremiah, unbeknownst to himself, uh, was really referring to uh, when he speaks of this uh, reconciling north and south was the was uh, was the was great was was prophesying the great bringing together of the great division between Jew and Gentile. Uh, that's the second great hallmark of the new covenant. Uh, that, to remove that division, to tear down the, the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and build up the church of God's elect people from the world around. <clears throat> now, this was very hard for the church, the first Jewish believers to even understand. They thought, they had been poorly taught during that particular age, especially that, um, that uh, God was their God. Uh, whose sole concern was to vindicate them, that is the nation of Israel. But in fact, God's great zeal was to vindicate himself throughout the whole world. Uh, do you remember how the Apostle Peter, good Jewish fisherman, was caught and reeled in by the Lord God, Jesus, and then sent off to, um, uh, to, to preach the gospel to a Roman um, army officer who who gathered all of his Gentile family and friends and neighbors for the event. And uh, Peter, being enlightened by a dream from God, walks into this benighted Gentile's household and starts preaching Christ. And what happens? They believe. <laughs> and they're saved. That great unwashed, unclean Gentiles um, uh, are all brought to Christ and God the Holy Spirit falls upon them in the same manner in which he'd fallen upon the Jews. And then this starts happening all over Judea and Samaria as God opens up the kingdom to include not only the Jews, but even the Gentiles. That means everybody else. That was just the start. Uh, then God raises up this man named Saul, whom we know as the Apostle Paul, who begins taking the gospel all over uh, the Roman world. Uh, and, and the kingdom begins to spread out wider and farther. Uh, the Apostle uh, explains it in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Remember, he says, therefore remember uh, that at one time you Gentiles... Uh, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, 
in Christ Jesus. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, reconciling Jews and Gentiles through the blood of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his work. Um, now, this new covenant is, is greater because God has done something bigger, something wider. Because our God is not some kind of small change, parochial God with a vision so narrow that he's able to see beyond Israel or the United States. Um, God's elect are pouring into the kingdom today from every nation uh, among every people on the face of the earth, Muslims and Hindus and tribal people dark and uh, in, in deep continental places. Uh, and, 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 and most of all, the, the most lost centers of all in South Jersey. Uh, but it wasn't that way uh, in, in the Old Testament age. And yet that was God's plan all along. It's beautiful. God removing barriers and prejudices between people all over the world as he stretches out this covenant and these promises and this gospel. And the doors to the kingdom are thrown wide open and all sorts of people are crowding in to find Jesus. There goes the neighborhood. Uh, those ladies with scarves on their heads that you can see walking around the shopping malls, pushing baby strollers. Uh, we need to find some way to make sure they hear the gospel, too. God wants them to hear the gospel. They may, that, that might not have happened in Pakistan or Afghanistan now, but it could happen here. Jeremiah had it right. The new covenant is stronger and wider and deeper. Deeper. Back again to the text. Look at verse 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. God says, <clears throat> No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Did you catch that last line? I will remember their sin no more. Our God forgives and forgets. How is that possible? It's possible through the vicarious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the third person of the Trinity on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah tells us that God looked and he saw that there was no one to intercede. There was no one, uh, to, uh, no one righteous, no one to stand in the gap. And so his own harm, his own arm brought salvation. God himself, the offended party, becomes the rescuer. Uh, and, and really, he becomes the sacrifice. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The writer to the book of Hebrews is talking about the superiority of Christ. That's what the book is about. And the superiority of the new covenant. And he reminds us that Christ became a better sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews 9.13 for if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of an ephor sanctifies for the purification of flesh, how much more 
He's referring to those Old Testament sacrifices. But he says, then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences that lead uh, uh, from dead works to serve the living God. Every priest uh, stands daily at his service, uh, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The point is, that in contrast with the ritual requirements of the Mosaic Covenant, which faced men with an endless stream of animal sacrifices, uh, bulls and goats and lambs, all incessant reminders of our sin and our guilt that we could never forget and wondered how God could forget. The new covenant in Christ drove, drove the remembrance of our sins even out of the mind of God with its final perfect sacrifice. Christ died once for all. That is, he was sacrificed once for all and the blood of the Lamb takes away the sin of the world and was sufficient and covers all. Jesus paid it all. It was his sacrifice, his blood. And God says, I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 31. Hebrews 10.17 Because, brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ is so powerful, so wide, and so deep, it covers all of my sins, and it does so endlessly. There's no end to the depth of the forgiveness and efficacy of the blood of Christ. It clears away the stain of sin and God remembers that no more. And if anyone should say, well, uh, uh, my sin is too great, how arrogant can you say? What do you mean your sin is too great? Is the blood of Christ insufficient to cover your sin? Uh, we'll, never, he will, we'll never reach the end of it. We'll never get to the place as Christians where we'll have to say, well, that's it. I've used up all of my cards. The forgiveness of Christ. Uh, the tank's on empty. Won't happen. Can you rejoice in that? I can rejoice in that. Let me close with this. At the Last Supper, Jesus holds up the cup of wine and says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. At Jesus' death, you remember this, the veil uh, on the, at the temple, in the temple, which separated that veil, the, 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 the holy place, uh, from the most holy place, where the ark was kept, where the presence of God was to be located there in the temple, in which only the high priest was allowed to visit once a year to pour out blood to atone for the sin of the nation. That veil at the death of Christ was miraculously ripped in two from top to bottom. The priests didn't do that. The Romans didn't do that. They're all off busy rejoicing over Jesus' death, their enemy. No, God the Father did that as a sign that the perfect offering of the Lamb of God had opened up a way for repentant and believing sinners to enter into the most intimate communion with the Holy God without endless, the need of endless animal sacrifices that could never really clear anyone's conscience. And that, uh, and, and that means that the gospel really is good news for you uh, this evening.
But what a Savior that we have in Jesus. Jeremiah, in his prophecy, looks ahead and he sees this day when all God's people, from the least to the greatest, will know the Lord. He says, verse 34, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, until they'll all know me. But we haven't come. We haven't quite come to that day and time yet. That a portion of the prophecy uh, when all will know the truth of Christ, well, that awaits the day of consummation. Right now, today it may be that there's someone here this evening, maybe uh, some boy or girl, who's never really asked Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. There may be somebody else who, to whom this all seems very strange and and they really have no appreciation or interest in how strong and wide and deep is this covenant promise as, um, as the Savior represents us. And that's very sad. Because everyone, willy-nilly, is in covenant relationship with God. Even those who, who profess to disbelieve His very existence. Uh, if, if you reject this merciful generous a covenant of grace, then you'll be judged by the law and the covenant of works, which demands unfailing, perfect obedience uh, to the Creator, and which brings judgment crashing down upon our conscience in this life and upon our body and soul in the life to come, and the judgment to come. But you can run to Jesus and be saved this very evening for for God has made this new covenant with Christ. He, he did it for us. Stronger uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our life. Wider uh, through the work of Christ. It's broken down the dividing wall and the partition and, and thrust the gospel out to every corner of the earth and deeper by the blood of Christ uh, and His love uh, by which uh, He even forgets our sins deeper than all of our sins, and all of, for all of his people, always and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, in this first Sunday in Advent, we think of the work of Christ again, and we're reminded of the covenant of grace that is so lovely. It is stronger. We Thank you for the Spirit. It's wider. We thank you for the depth of your vision uh, that uh, passes over all the world. And we thank you that it's deeper, that the blood of Christ is better than the blood of goats and bulls that's only pointed to Christ. And we thank you that you love us and have covered all of our sin and look with delight upon us. We um, are amazed at such a gospel. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.